This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Dave Fancher. Hello. And today, Dave and I will be talking about functional programming in .NET. Dave is author of the book of F-Sharp uh, from No Starch Press and a Microsoft MVP for .NET and also the owner of Achieve Solutions. And Dave is a Pluralsight author and he's done a course called Building uh, F-Sharp Type Providers and he's working on a new course about functional programming with C-Sharp. So Dave, uh, what is functional programming? So ask 10 different programmers what functional programming is, and you'll likely get 10 different answers. But in general, they tend to boil down to three main characteristics. The first one is that functional programming is about controlling side effects. So side effects are anything that changes the external state of the system. So, so it could be as benign as writing to a log file, or it could be more nefarious like uh, changing some shared data acro uh, across the system. Under functional programming, we want to control that as much as possible. Um, also under functional programming, we tend to focus on expressions rather than statements. So C-sharp tends to be statement-based. There are some expressions in there, but for the most part, it's, it's statement-based. Your if statements, you're using statements, and so on. Versus a functional language tends to be focused on expressions. So rather than executing something for its effect, we want to execute something for its result. And then finally, functional programming is, is really centered on the idea of mathematical functions. And so functional languages want to treat functions as data. So you can pass around functions just as you would an integer or a string, and that gives way to higher order functions, which is where most of the power of functional programming comes from. So you're you're controlling the mutability of the the data in the application. Largely, yes. So a language like F sharp uh, is going to make everything immutable by default. C sharp has capabilities for making things immutable, especially in C sharp six, where we now have the getter only auto properties, which makes that a lot easier. Uh, Getter-only auto properties make it much easier to create immutable data types because behind the scenes, it's doing that wiring up of a read-only backing variable, which we would have to do manually prior to C-sharp 6. Uh, and by saying that you can't change something, you don't have to worry as much about some other thread coming in and changing data out from under you or, or any of those other types of effects that, that cause people to say, avoid global state. <laughs> <laughs> So every time I talk to somebody that uh, considers themselves to be a functional programmer, um, they're using languages like Lisp and Erlang, and they are heavy advocates of those things. Uh, they tend to really be enthusiastic about functional programming once they discover it. Um, and I know you are dealing a lot with F-sharp, so what makes F-sharp uh, that language of choice for you? What gets you so excited about functional programming with F-sharp? So what drives people to functional programming is that when you start working with the languages, whether it's Erlang or Lisp or F-sharp, the way that functional programs are written leads to greater predictability and a better 
capability of being able to reason about your code. It's the whole deterministic things. If you're not changing values from if you're, if you're not changing global state, you don't you don't need to keep track of it. You don't have to to guess if I execute a particular function or method, what effect is this going to have on the overall state of the system? Because you're guaranteeing that you're going to get the same result every time. Uh, the other thing is that you end up with with less complexity. So think about a multi-threaded scenario. Again, coming back to immutability and controlling side effects. If your code can't change the system state and you have a collection, you don't have to worry about another thread changing that value from under you. You just, you don't have to worry about locking. You don't have to throw in monitors. You don't have to throw in any of these other primitives that we've, we've taught to worry about synchronizing threads because there's no data to synchronize. It's always going to be the same. You see this a lot in, in links. So going out of the functional languages specifically, link is a functional domain-specific language inside of .NET. And if you have a collection, the link extension methods are not going to change that underlying data. So you're guaranteed to get a new collection from executing a, a link-to-objects expression, for instance. Yeah, one thing I've noticed with uh, functional programming uh, in my experiences, it leads to more deliberate uh, sets of functions, and it leads to more human-readable code by having these smaller, uh, more precise functions. You know what each function is going to do. You can name those things appropriately, and then you kind of have this chain of API calls that, that's almost in a human-readable form. Uh, so I see a lot of fluent APIs popping up um, out of the functional side of things. Is that something that you've seen in your experience as well? Yep, actually, um, so most of my day job is, is spent with C-sharp, but um, I treat C-sharp as a functional language now. Uh, one of the talks I give is actually uh, functional C-sharp, and in that talk, it's all about building up a couple of extension methods that bring fluent APIs and method chaining, basically functional pipelining into C-sharp. And so my C-sharp programs use a lot of that now. And, and what ends up happening, especially under C-sharp 6, is I end up with these functions that are really just a chain of, of function calls, so a, a functional pipeline. And it ultimately results in a single expression, which means I can make a lot of use of expression-bodied members. Now, some of these changes came up, like you said, in C-sharp 6. But I think a majority of it came up in C-sharp 3.0, did it not? Uh, it was either 3.0 or 3.5, whenever Link came out. Because when you look at what Link is, it's it's really a collection of, of different technologies that you can use independently. So uh, you've got, of course, uh, Lambda expressions making delegation finally usable. Uh, you have... Uh, Anonymous method, or sorry, anonymous types. You have uh, generics, which came out in 2.0. So all of these things working in near perfect harmony to allow you to put together expressive, ex expressive expressions, so to speak, uh, allowing you to chain things together. And the the thing is, and I think back to when I first started Link. Link was kind of uh, Link has been called the gateway to functional 
And it, it really is. And I think back to, to when I first started getting into it and learning about Link and seeing all the things that it was doing. And it, it just kind of clicked with me. It meshed with the way I thought and, and understanding that this is really just a bunch of higher order functions that I didn't know they were called higher order functions at the time when I was getting into it. But, but as I've gotten more into functional and understanding what this is doing, it's led me to, to understand that Imperative code, like we typically see in C-sharp, tends to obscure a lot of patterns that functional programmers have recognized for decades. Uh, for instance, we end up writing a lot of, of for loops and, and nested conditionals to, to filter or sort uh, a data list, right? Uh, in, in the functional world, if we look at, at just staying in, in .NET, uh, Sorry, sorry, staying in, in F-sharp for now, since we're talking about .NET, there's a series of modules for doing just that. Uh, filters, you have, uh, you have sorting, all of those built in. And, and now C-sharp has some of that, but it's all built on specifically on the objects, like array has, has sorting uh, built in. But, but it's all static methods on that type as opposed to being modules and working off of, of more generalized types like the... the uh, uh, like I enumerable of T, for instance. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, when Link came out, uh, it was something that, for some reason, I gravitated to very quickly. And when I go to user groups and conferences and things, I talk to people, and it's still not as popular as you might expect it to be. Um, and I feel like if people got more into it uh, and looked at how simple some of it really is. Uh, it, it kind of is a mystery at first. It, it, it's not your normal you know, style of programming, like you said, with uh, iterations through loops and uh, you know, using for each and things like that. Um, you know, now you're using these different uh, filters and iterators through Link. Uh, but if you learn about it a little bit and then see how easy it is to extend those things using extension methods, you could come up with some really clean and powerful code with you know just a few simple tweaks. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and the thing, going back to my point, like functional programmers have been using these patterns for years, but but when you're working in an imperative style, you get so focused on well, I need to iterate over this sequence, and so you start focusing on those plumbing details. And and for the most part, unless you're in some very specialized case you really shouldn't care how it iterates. Like, I don't care how the link where method iterates over my collection. I don't care whether it's internally it's using a for, for each or a while or any of that stuff. I just want to get a filtered, or I just want to get a filtered list back, right? Now, if you have a good reason for going to the imperative, it's probably going to be a little bit more performant. But in, in your general line of business apps, working with, with typical data sources that, at least that I've seen in my career, forcing yourself into doing the for loops and that is a micro-optimization that doesn't need to be done. Like, like, unless you can say, you know, I'm having this performance problem because this where clause, or this, this where extension method is iterating differently than I want it to and it's doing something. Well, even at that point, 
what are you doing inside of the Lambda expression you're passing into it? Are you doing some logging? Are you doing something else? It's like, you're, you're talking about nanoseconds. In, in, in the, if you're doing some you know, machine learning off of, off of multiple millions of rows, yeah, you probably don't want to use Link, but you're probably also not using .NET anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the people that I've talked to come from a different side of it, where they're, they're just not um, familiar with this, the you know link operators even being there uh, they're more or they may know about them but they're more familiar with you know this is the way i've programmed for you know 10 15 20 years using four in each and uh you know re- you know that repetitive you know looping through things yeah i and and i think you know before link i mean even uh yeah yeah going back before link yes certainly there was uh you you had to do it that way basically. There were some places in the .NET framework that would allow you to work somewhat functionally, but if you think back to the days before, uh, even be, even before, uh, yeah, before Link came out, then you had some facilities for delegation, but they were almost unusable. Like like the the very early days of .NET. The only thing people use delegation for was event handling, right? So, the, 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 for, to me, the reason that people didn't use delegation, one, was a lack of understanding, but you had to do a lot of plumbing code to get it to work. And then, eventually, anonymous functions came along, and they improved the story behind using delegation a little bit, but you still had to have inline delegate keyword, and, and it was basically a, a full method declaration inline, and then finally, when Link came around and brought Lambda expressions with it, it became usable. You could put your variables or your, your parameters in line, and you had an arrow with an implicit return in most cases, and it became usable for the first time. And now, with Lambda expressions, you start to see it permeating different parts of the framework. Look at the Task Parallel Library, for instance. Everything you want to do with the task parallel library is based off of delegation. You have your task factory, and it accepts an action or a func, depending on what you want that task to do. Yeah, and I'm seeing more and more features, like you said, with uh, C Sharp 6, um, and then some of the frameworks uh, that are being released in the future here, um, such as MVC 6. Uh, there's even more you know, functional style programming and uh, uh, function delegates and things of that nature being introduced uh, everywhere uh, into that framework, um, especially with configuration and dependency injection and all of those things. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm excited about where C Sharp is going. Um, I just worry that it, it's a very good object-oriented language, and I just hope that it doesn't get too polluted on both sides, that it it ends up with too many different ways to do the same thing. I like the functional features, but C Sharp, I think, really, its its strong suit is object orientation. It doesn't have a lot of those default things that, that a language like F Sharp does. So things like the default immutability, uh, the, the, the type inference system in F Sharp, for instance, is much stronger than it is in C Sharp. And so because of the way that that just well, j- just because of the nature of functional programming, a language like F Sharp is more suited to it because it's written with that paradigm in mind. First, fun- F Sharp is called a functional first language for a reason. You can do object-oriented code in it, but you should really try going the functional route first. It'll result in a better application. 
Conversely, with C-sharp, C-sharp is an object-oriented first language, and it really shows that. So if you wanted to do something, a technique in, in functional programming uh, with, with pipelining, uh, uses partial application of, of functions. So if you want to do that in C-sharp, it's perfectly doable, but you end up with, uh, with function expressions, method, uh, uh, sorry, you end up with, with method signatures with angle brackets everywhere because you're having to tell the compiler so many times what type it is because the, la the language and the compiler isn't set up to be able to infer those as easily as the F-sharp compiler is. So we've talked a lot, quite a bit about, you know, functional programming in C-sharp, uh, you know, with link and uh, function delegates, lambda expressions. What does F-sharp have that C-sharp is lacking? Uh, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that don't transition across? Like, uh, for example, is there any way to do pattern matching in C-sharp? I think uh, Tomas Petracek did a... Uh satirical post about uh, how you can use ex uh, exception types to do pattern matching in, <laughs> in C-sharp. Um, but, but really, the, the closest thing that we have to pattern matching in C-sharp is a, is, a, a, uh, is a switch. And as we all know, that's pretty limited to things that the compiler can see. Uh, so, so things that F-sharp brings that C-sharp doesn't have. First off, uh, I liked the uh, stronger type inference. Uh, you can... In many cases get away without having any uh, any type annotations on your your uh, on your binding name so the compiler can just figure it out like I've always been told that the computers are good at, at doing the same thing over and over well then why do I have to keep telling the C sharp compiler over and over what data type <laughs> I'm using uh, <laughs> so so if, if the compiler can figure that out I'm I'm perfectly happy to let it do its job uh, the next thing we touched on a little bit is pattern matching, and there are tons and tons and tons of different ways you can take a value and and use pattern matching to to isolate it to to branch your code according to the values in your data type and whether and it can go from anything from integers and strings all the way into more complex types. You can use tuples, you can use uh, the the record types, you can use the discriminated unions. Which brings us to the next point is that in F-sharp, you get a whole series of data types that just aren't available in C-sharp. So I mentioned both of, uh, mentioned two of them already, the discriminated unions, uh, which basically say that your data can only be one of a series of values. Um, so, so you're restricting it down to, to just the union cases that are defined in that discriminated union. And then the other type is the the record types, which are basically, uh, you can think of them kind of as lightweight classes. Uh, they compile down to classes, but it's a single line, usually, or a, a very small, concise definition for, for holding some data. And then if you want to go even more general than that, tuples are first-class citizens in F-sharp, so you don't have to deal with the tuple.create and item one and item two. So the tuples are actually usable in, in F-sharp. So let's back up for one second because we're throwing a lot of words around that people <laughs> may not be familiar with. Uh, can you explain pattern matching just a little bit for folks that may not have experience with it? Sure. So pattern matching is is kind of like a switch statement on steroids. It's kind of how it's usually described. Uh, 
So essentially you're saying you have a data type and you want to branch your code according to certain conditions on that. So you start listing out, you can think of a switch statement you have, you want to match against uh, an integer. You do one, two, case one, case two, case three. Well, pattern matching takes that to the next level. And it says, well, I have a record type and it's a, it just finds a person that has a first name and a last name. And I want to execute one branch of code if a person has a particular last name. Uh, and you can also then capture those values and pass those into the, the uh, particular case body and, and use those. Essentially, you're, you're putting a, another function inside of, of the pattern matching. So you can do a lot more with the pattern matching just based on its, its nature, being able to, to work, at, work with things that aren't necessarily visible to the compiler. Like the compiler doesn't know what a value is. It, 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 uh, you can work against things that aren't constants, for instance. Uh, you can look at and compare it against uh, another value. You want to say, I've got an integer and it needs to be higher than something. You could do it as an if statement in C-sharp, but pattern matching tends to make it a little bit more concise. So if we wanted to get started function with functional programming at .NET, uh, let's start with F-sharp first, and then talk a little bit about C-sharp afterwards. Uh, what, what kind of resources can we go out and grab for uh, learning F-sharp? So I, I always tell people to start with my book, but, uh, but beyond <laughs> that, um, there's a, a really great website. It's uh, F-Sharp for Fun and Profit, and that covers it, – it, it tends to be focused on, on F-Sharp, as its name implies, but, but Scott, the, the guy who runs that site, does tend to get a lot more into the theoretical uh, functional programming side of things. It's, uh, it's, it's a really great website. Um, of course, F-Sharp.org has all sorts of great resources and, and testimonials, so uh, – uh, anything from the F-Sharp Software Foundation is a, is a good place to start on, on those things. Uh, as far as, as functional and C-Sharp, just start with Link. Like, learn the principles. How, how does Link work? And, and that'll give you a good grasp of how you can start getting into to, uh, functional programming in C-Sharp. So let's go back and, and talk about, uh, you know, pipeline-style programming again real quick. Um, so... Let's go. Let's go a little bit deeper into you know fluent APIs uh, and how those uh, work with all of this. So yeah, in, in functional programming, and, and I'll speak specifically about F sharp since that's where most of my my functional experience comes from. We have a series of operators called the pipelining operators, and then there's there's a a pair of related operators built in for function composition, and they they have a similar effect. But basically, the idea is to let some data flow through the system. Now, whether that's for you know, for for transforming it into some other other value um, or or executing some side effect against it, we can we can do that through pipelining. And basically, we take a value and then use one of the piping operators to apply another function. That value goes into the next function as the final value through partial application. And then we do whatever needs to be done to that. And, and that allows us to easily compose our functions and, and as an extension, the, the whole application. Fluent interfaces tend to be the object-oriented version of that. If you look at link, for instance, you start off with a sequence and you want to filter it. You do dot where. Well, the where extension method is a higher order function that takes an expression for how to filter out that data. 
and it, so it operates against that source expression. If you look at an at the signature for an extension method, what do you have? You have the first argument, the first, sorry, the first parameter decorated with this. So basically, it's the, the object-oriented equivalent. And by doing that, um, you see it in jQuery as well. Uh, jQuery is, is really built around that whole notion of, of function chaining. So you do your selector dot whatever dot whatever. You do the same thing in link. You do sequence dot filter, sequence dot where, sequence dot select, and you chain all these things together to, to allow your data to flow through the system. And then by adding some additional extension methods to the application, we can allow that to carry throughout the application. It's interesting you talk about jQuery. Um, I actually uh, just got back from a conference where I did a talk about learning uh, JavaScript as a C-sharp developer. And uh, one of the things I used heavily was uh, jQuery. And by doing the practice of you know learning JavaScript and learning jQuery, I came back to the C-sharp language uh, with some new perspective on things. And I think my... Uh, new perspective helped me pick up link and start you know utilizing that more uh, and doing more functional style programming so where you kind of stepped out to f sharp and learn these things i stepped out to javascript and learn these things and we kind of both came back with the same uh, perspective to c sharp it's very interesting about a year ago, Mark Seaman put together an article. Um, it's on his blog, plo.dk. Um, it's called Solid, The Next Step is Functional. So this is a reference to the solid principles that object-oriented programmers love. And when you really dig down deep and you look at them, boil them down to their, their essence, what you really see is that they're guiding us towards functional programming. Uh, single responsibility. Well, what's more single responsibility than a function that does just one thing? Uh, and, and, and so when you, you really dig into it, um, I recommend going and reading that article. Uh, I've reached similar conclusions. And the other thing that I came across is there's a, a book that everybody loves. It's on many people's uh, must-read programming books. And that's Bob Martin's Clean Code. I actually have it sitting right next to me right now. Uh, and there's a lot of that book focuses on things that are a, a little bit more abstract, things like naming and, and things like that, that languages can't necessarily control. But there's an entire chapter dedicated to how you write functions. And what you find when you look at those, those rules is a lot of them, again, are guiding towards programming in a functional style. Now, the book is written for written against Java, of course, but it applies equally well in in C# -sharp. and when you start looking at the at the essence of them, again, just like solid, it's guiding you towards programming in a functional style. And why not if you're going to be guided towards working in a functional style, use the tools rather than building complexity to enforce those and relying on discipline. Let's start using tools that actually do it for us and functional languages and things like higher order functions, even in C sharp will allow us to more naturally flow into that. And then we just start following the guidelines laid out in clean code anyway. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, Dave. Um, I think by, you know, talking about these uh, different styles of programming, um, different languages, uh, kind of challenging the way people think about the way they're doing development, hopefully gets people 
in a mindset where they're they're going to go out and grab some of this information and, and learn some new things, uh, whether they like functional programming or not when they're done. Uh, at least if they you know come back with a new perspective on something they already use, uh, will be a big help to everybody. So thanks for hey. thanks for coming out and doing this with me. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, if you'd like to catch up with Dave, uh, you can find him uh, on Twitter at Dave Fancher. Um, his book is out there. Uh, the book of F Sharp, and uh, you can also catch him on Pluralsight. Uh, he's got a new course about uh, functional programming in C Sharp coming out. <laughs>